0: Amen. My name is Pastor Stan, and in case you didn't know, Rachel is Chris' my daughter, and it just brought back lots of good memories when uh, uh, she'd play the piano in our parsonage, and we'd get to hear her worshiping, and just like this morning, we'd often join with her, wouldn't we, Chris, and, and sing it. Hey, if you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 19. Daniel's a short book. It's toward the end of the Old Testament, right after the book of Ezekiel. Okay, Daniel 4 and 19. And last week, in the first part of this chapter... We saw that when the king of Babylon had his troubling dream, there was only one man in his kingdom who could both understand and interpret it, and that was Daniel. A man that God used in an incredibly significant way because he had purposed in his heart to be faithful and available to the Lord of his salvation. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, we're going to put this passage up on the big screen so you can follow along, Uh, and now as you're able, I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all. Under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. Believe the stump of its roots in the earth. "...bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him." This is the interpretation, O King. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field." You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me. And I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Amen. And you may be seated. Father, we pray. That not only would you guide my words, you would enable each of us to hear what it is you have for us to hear. And that we would not be hearers only of your word, but doers also, for the praise of your name. Amen. If you find it helpful, you'll see in your bulletin there's an insert that you can use to follow along with the message. So what do we learn as we look together hear a God's word. Well, there's several things we're going to point out, and the first is this. Daniel clearly communicated his concern and compassion for the king. Daniel clearly communicated his concern and compassion. Verse 19. Then Daniel, it says, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The amplified version of the Bible says, Daniel experienced this dismay and this alarm because he was concerned about the king's destiny. And so I have a question for you. What do people see, especially what do lost people sense, when they look you in the eye? Is it the same kind of compassion and concern that Daniel? displayed to the king? Or perhaps do they sense something different, maybe even indifference, or even a critical or condemning spirit? What do people see when they look at you? I wish it weren't so, but based on everything I've read, there are a whole lot of people living on the outside of God's kingdom who aren't convinced that you and I care too much about them and, and, and who certainly wouldn't say that they have encountered or experienced much love from those of us who profess to follow Jesus. It's often been said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. and Though we don't know if that was ever said to Daniel, when the Lord led him to an understanding of what the king's dream meant, Daniel, it says, became deeply troubled. He cared about his king. And I think that in itself is pretty amazing. If, if you remember all the way back to chapter 1 of this book, we learned that after Nebuchadnezzar's army had taken possession of Jerusalem, Daniel and many of his countrymen, including especially the best and the brightest, had been forcibly taken from their homeland and brought to Babylon. Now, what would the normal human reaction be to the ruler of an army that had thoroughly and completely crushed your nation? Uh, I'm guessing it would not be compassion. And yet, as Daniel waited to tell the king what his dream meant, he wasn't gloating... He wasn't secretly rejoicing. No, his countenance communicated great concern and compassion. So, how do we account for that? You know, as we're going to see when we get to Daniel chapter 6, this servant of God had an interesting habit. Three times a day, the Bible says he would get down on his knees, and what would he do when he was on his knees? He would pray. And wouldn't it make sense that praying as much as often as he did, Daniel eventually would begin to lift up his king to the throne room of grace. Now, I've been a follower of Jesus for about 40 years. And one thing I've discovered is we evangelicals seem to have a whole lot easier time praying for the leaders in government whom we helped elect. And, And I guess that's human nature. But Church, that's not what we as Christians are told to do. In fact, we're going to put a little passage up here on the big screen. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 2. What's it say? Read it with me. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So this is a command to us. It's not a suggestion. And though Daniel certainly didn't have any of Paul's epistles, I'm convinced that in his times of daily prayer, he interceded for his king. And over the course of time, He came not only to forgive Nebuchadnezzar, but also to grow to have compassion and perhaps even respect and admiration for this man. And seeing Daniel's concern about this dream, second half of verse 19, the king answered and he said, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. And Daniel answered then and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. Again, he's clearly communicating that he is concerned for the king. Earlier on in this series, we learned that that God had given to Daniel understanding in all visions and dreams. And that's why he knew the fearful future awaiting the king. And in the coming verses, Daniel both recounts the dream... And explains its meaning. And before we get into these verses, I want us all to notice something. Daniel Daniel here is going to give it straight to the king. He's not going to rephrase or diminish the gravity of Nebuchadnezzar's situation. He wasn't simply going to tell the leader of his nation, Oh, king, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Contrast what we're about to hear Daniel tell the king with how we often do evangelism today. In an effort to make the gospel more appealing, it's tempting for us to leave out some of the hard parts and focus solely on God's love and his grace. Instead of warning people about the wrath that is to come and the awful reality of hell that's going to be experienced by all who refuse to believe the gospel... We narrow our focus and talk instead about the beauty and wonder and excellence of heaven. Why do we do that? Well, there are lots of reasons. In part because we don't want to offend our listeners or give them reason to dislike us. So we're tempted sometimes to leave out or barely mention the truth of how we have offended the holy and righteous God who created us. And as a result, you and I are deserving of nothing more than his just judgment of our sin. Okay, verse 20. Daniel tells the king, he says, the tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top... "...reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying... Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And again, notice Daniel not going to sugarcoat it. He says, It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. Daniel clearly and accurately communicates the truth of his situation. I didn't realize it till a week or two ago, but there's actually a medical name or diagnosis for Nebuchadnezzar's condition. It's called boanthropy, and it still affects people today. People who become convinced, it's a psychological condition, they become convinced that they're an animal, and they will crawl around on all fours, and they will... Eat grass and they will refuse to speak, instead, making sounds and utterances similar to whatever animal they think they have become. And though actual cases of boanthropy are quite rare, the truth is, you and I often see what happens when people refuse to acknowledge God's reign and His rule. And when they do, how easy it is to start acting like an animal. And now we're in the middle of 25. Daniel says, seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. This word heaven is, is a synonym here for God. Although it was God who had caused Nebuchadnezzar to prosper, we're going to see in a few minutes that this king had become quite proud of his personal accomplishments. And the Lord wasn't about to allow Nebuchadnezzar to take credit for all that had actually happened because God, as the one who rules the kingdom of man, had caused and enabled this kingdom, his kingdom, to grow and grow and grow. We can't say with complete confidence what the seven periods of time are. However, many Bible teachers assume they represent seven calendar years. Maybe or maybe not. But we do know that the king was in this animal-like state Of mine long enough, according to the 33rd verse, for his hair to grow long and matted like an eagle's feathers and for his fingernails to become like the claws of a bird. So Daniel, again, he was faithful to tell the king what his dream meant. And that took some courage in itself, but the Lord's servant didn't stop there. He also called on Nebuchadnezzar to repent. For Daniel knew that was the one hope the king had to experience God's grace. Here we are at verse 27. Therefore, Daniel says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. I'm sure most all of you have heard the phrase, speaking truth to power, and I, I guess you could say that's what Daniel is doing here. So is that a big deal? Well, it wasn't unheard of for an Old Testament prophet to lose his life as a result of announcing God's judgment. So, yeah, This was a big deal. And yet, as I thought on these verses, I've come to realize that Daniel's dilemma wasn't all that different than ours for those of us who profess to be blood-bought, born-again followers of Jesus. Now hear me. Daniel knew that a day of judgment was coming for his friend, for the king. Daniel also knew that telling Nebuchadnezzar the truth about his sin would likely change the dynamics of their relationship, perhaps forever. But Daniel cared more about the king's soul and being a faithful servant of God than his own well-being. And that's why he chose to do the right thing, to bring glory to God by speaking the truth to his friend in love. You see, Daniel knew that in order to avoid the Lord's judgment, his king would need to not only acknowledge his sins, but turn from them and put his hope in the one true God. Doesn't that sound a lot like the gospel? But to those who don't yet believe, the gospel is offensive, even foolish, but not to us. To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I like how pastor and author Tim Keller puts it. I think I've shared this with you before. He says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, and yet at the very same time, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to help. Praise God for his gospel. So, question for you. Do you have a Friend, who has yet to understand and embrace that truth. I think most of us do. Most of us. Nebuchadnezzar had a problem, and his biggest problem was himself. He didn't want to admit he needed God. And for that reason, he was about to be judged for his pride. You know, that's the same sin that has ensnared most people in the world today. You and I are are surrounded by men and women and young people who are convinced that their lives are just fine without Jesus. And yet the Bible says something different. The Bible says that right now they are not only without God, but also without hope. So, church, what is our responsibility? What's our responsibility to people we care about who don't yet know Jesus in a personal and a real way? How about if we followed Daniel's example, not only in in praying for our friends, but loving them enough to tell them the truth? And I'm guessing, uh, as I say those words, uh, you might be thinking your situation's a little bit different and uncomfortable. In fact, you may be certain there are lots of reasons why this wouldn't be a good idea. After all, if you're like me, you want people to like you. You don't want to perhaps risk your friendship or be thought of as judgmental. You certainly don't know all the answers. Your own life, in fact, is not perfect. Lots of reasons we can come up with. But the reality is, when Jesus gave us the Great Commission, he knew all of these things I just mentioned would be true. And yet he didn't announce a plan B when he told his followers to go and make disciples, it's up to those of us who know him and to love him. As our church's mission statement says it, we are all about knowing Christ and making him known. And as members of this church family, our prayer should be Lord, help us to do that. Help us. Uh, I love how God providentially works in many different wonderful ways. We're going to put the memory verse for this week back up on the big screen. And uh, I, I think it's just awesome how this goes along with what we're talking about this morning. You know, for, for, for those of us who, who want to share our faith with others but we don't know how it's going to go, there, there are only a few different options. You know, if, if you share your faith with, with a friend, if you tell them the good news of the gospel... They may, at that point, have the Holy Spirit open their heart to understand this truth. They may, at this point, turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus, and you've just gained a brother or sister in the Lord. Is that a good thing? Yes, it's always a good thing. That's worth rejoicing. So that's something incredibly good that can happen. But most of us also have this accompanying fear. It might not go as well as I was hoping. In fact, my friend might not like hearing what God's word says about their sin. I don't know if I can do it. What if they become angry with me? What if they are so annoyed with me they no longer want to be my friend? Well, what's 1 Peter 4.14 say? Let's say it out loud. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So I I love that promise. You know, on, on one hand, our friend might come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing, right? And if they don't, and in fact, if they become very annoyed and even personal attack you, saying unkind things about you, the word of God says, boom, you have a double blessing, right? Two blessings if somebody doesn't want to receive, doesn't want to believe. The spirit of glory and of God will rest upon you. Hmm. Why does God include this promise in his word? Because he knows what we're going to struggle with and he wants to remind us from his perspective how blessed it is to obey and honor him. You know, before we go on from here, I'm going to ask you one more question. Is hell real? I want you to answer out loud. Is hell real? Yes. It is a real place. And brothers and sisters, you and I need to keep on reminding each other that we have good news for those who are perishing. We know the one and only way that anyone can be saved from the coming wrath, and that one way is Jesus. And, friend, if perhaps you came into church today not knowing or understanding any of all, any or all of this, may this be the day of your salvation. So, how did the king respond to Daniel's warning? Did he wrestle with it for a while? Did he did he give some serious thought to breaking off his sins and practicing righteousness? <laughs> you know, I, I've uh, discovered one thing about myself even. It, it's sometimes easier to judge myself by my intentions rather than my actions. The king might have intended or even thought he was... Making some changes in his life. But the Bible makes clear God was willing to demonstrate his patience to this king before fulfilling this prophecy. God demonstrated his patience before fulfilling this prophecy. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, it says, Started at 29, at the end of 12 months. So why did God wait a whole year? Why didn't God immediately judge Nebuchadnezzar? I think those are okay questions to ask, but, but how about this one? Why is the Lord so patient with us And with our generation, again, we we get a pretty good answer when we read what the Lord's disciple Peter said. And we're going to put that up on the big screen. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. A few minutes ago, I asked if you have any friends who, according to the Word, are not only without God, but also with hope, without hope. And according to the verses up on the screen behind me, one reason your friend, your family member, your loved one is still walking on this planet is because the Lord doesn't want them to perish but wants them to come to that place of repentance. So he's waiting. He's he's being patient. And in this time of patience between our Savior's ascension into heaven and his second coming, you and I and everyone else who's place their faith in the crucified and risen Christ is, is being given opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to share this good news with others. And God's patience is not going to last forever. When, when Jesus comes for those who have, who have longed for his appearing, which I'm hoping includes most all of us here this morning... There won't be any second chances or or do-overs for those who have failed to repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. No do-overs, only judgment. And after 12 months, time was up for Nebuchadnezzar. Middle of 29, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built for my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You know, the king here, he's making it clear with his own lips. As far as he's concerned, he's not only a very important and powerful person, he was worthy of praise and honor and glory. And upon hearing Daniel's friends speak these words, God's patience came to an end. As foretold in in the dream, Nebuchadnezzar experienced the Lord's just judgment of his sin. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And, and, and the king was removed from his throne, last half of verse 32, until he knew that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. So at that very moment, the king became like an animal. He was driven from his people. He ate grass like a cow. He slept outside with the livestock. And, and one period of time passed into a second and a third and a fourth all the way through the seventh, just as had been prophesied. And then we skip to verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And when he did, we're going to see the king experience God's amazing grace. Amazing grace. You know, was this the king's salvation experience? It it certainly appears that way. I'm going to put a couple different verses up on the big screen. The first is from Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. And how about the imitation of Isaiah 45, 22, where God says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other have you turned to God and experienced his salvation you know that's part of what we do when we take communion we celebrate what Jesus has done for us taking in himself the penalty for sin we each deserve I had fun remembering back to the day when I understood this truth, I was a 16-year-old sophomore in high school. And that was literally the greatest day of my life. I went from being ensnared in the dominion of darkness and set free into the kingdom of God's Son. It was worth rejoicing in and celebrating all that the God of my salvation had done for me and for all those who simply place their faith in his son. I went that day from being alienated from God to being on the receiving end of his love and acceptance and forgiveness. Boy, I had a song I wanted to sing. (laughs) And it appears, as we look at the last few verses, the king almost certainly was on the receiving end of God's saving grace and mercy. Middle of verse 34. Listen to his testimony. As Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to heaven, he says, My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him who lives forever and ever. And then again, this man who, remember, for seven periods of time had been living like an animal, unable to, or unwilling to speak, launches into a wonderful song of praise. And this time he's not singing about how great he is. He's directing his attention and his affection to the one enthroned in heaven. And and he was either saying or perhaps even singing this song of praise to the God of our salvation. The king says his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? I love that song because Nebuchadnezzar had come to understand that the most high rules the kingdom of men. Verse 36, at the same time my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. And then verse 37, one final verse in his song of praise. The king says, now I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right And his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Add all of those words of his song together, and you have a wonderful, faith-filled expression that's honoring the Lord. Have you ever wondered where the king got all that understanding? to make such an expression of faith. Uh, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And just who was the one man in his kingdom who years earlier not only had the opportunity to speak the word of God to the king, but who actually did it. Of course, it was his friend Daniel. The man who had purposed in his heart to be both faithful and available.